Hello and welcome back to Nerds Amalgamated. I'm the professor and my co-host is the DJ. What's going on, DJ? It's been good. It's been good. Uh, well, I'm crazy. You haven't say anything else. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> I don't. I know. Hey, but it's been crazy the last few days. I mean, well, first we had uh, Ruby Rose going up against Warner Brothers. Now we're seeing Alec Baldwin going crazy. Well, he didn't go crazy. The armory department screwed up. The gun went off and killed someone, and now he's probably pretty traumatized from that. It's a tragedy, and honestly, right now, seeing that Ruby Rose from, what's she from, Batwoman? Yeah. Uh, Ruby Rose from Batwoman. The IATSE union had a big walk-off earlier this week, or last week, and now the armorer from uh, Alec Baldwin's movie, messed up and gave him a loaded gun. Now she's on hiding, apparently. <laughs> yeah, they have a warrant because apparently the armorer and assistant director have gone missing, which sounds really suspicious. What's an even weirder coincidence is that the assistant director who gave Alec Baldwin the gun, so the armorer set up the gun and the assistant director gave him the gun, Yeah, worked on The Crow 2, which is the sequel to The Crow, which is the movie where... Uh, Brandon Lee died in a very similar incident. Oh, no. Because somebody messed up with the firearms. In that case, um, we still obviously don't have the full details of what happened with uh, Alec Baldwin's case, but it does sound like the gun was faulty and they loaded it with the wrong kind of ammunition. But in the Brandon Lee case, they made their own dummy bullets so the gun would look like it was loaded, uh, accidentally or deliberately set one of them off, which caused the bullet to get lodged in the barrel. Then they loaded it with a blank, which is basically the rest of the bullet minus the bullet. So when the blank went off, it was enough pressure to fire the gun and kill Brandon. I'm really seeing a pattern here that they need better safety standards and procedures. And I hope that gets signed out. Yeah, I heard, I heard they, was gonna, they were going to do a walkout and stuff like that because to highlight how bad the uh, conditions were. Yeah, and I've heard that for this particular shoot, they were running on about six hours of sleep for crew members because oh. they made the crew members work for, you know, a 10-hour day and then an hour drive back out to the hotel and then an hour drive back in the morning. So they've only really got six hours of sleep, which is not enough if you've also got to have a shower and have dinner and all of that. There's going to be a lot of civil suits on this one. I hope so. I hope the this gets sorted and they can improve safety because this shouldn't be happening and it's an absolute tragedy that could have been prevented oh yeah yeah i was uh watching uh beaver Frey. he was talking about the the whole situation and yeah it's there's going to be a lot of questions asked yeah we'll have to wait and see how the how it all shakes out yeah the ruby rose story now that's a <laughs> that's a cra that's another crazy story in itself yeah, she uh, quit Batwoman because of safety issues, wasn't it? Yeah, so safety. The lead actress quit because of safety. She quit because of safety issues. She quit because of um, uh, a couple of... Her, she blamed her co-stars for being, uh, as to quote, egotistical children. And then... And what, then sorry? Egotistical children. Oh. And uh, one of uh, Warner Brothers went step uh, came back with saying that this is some revisionist history stuff, 
And then one of the co-actors said that uh, it's very hard to get the lead actress to be fired. And he highlighted how the how Ruby Rose was being very toxic to people as well. Well, considering the surrounding scenario, I'm going to be on Ruby's side for this until we find out more. Yeah, I, I personally, I think I, I'm, I'm, no, I'm not taking anyone's side on this one. I just want to sh- see this <laughs> go down. Oh, and it's going to be funny to watch. I hope you don't mean funny as in you're going to be there with popcorn and laughing. Yeah, yeah, we'll be there with popcorn and laughing. Why? Uh, so it's just see how many people are going to go go through the, but you said this, no, you said this, no, you said this, no, you said this. It's going to be like how much back and forth is going to be. Well, we got to wait and see, really. Yeah. And, you know, my thoughts go out to um, Hauna... Sorry, I can't remember her last name, but Halna's family and the director who was injured. Yeah, Halna Hutchins. That's the name. Yep. And I really hope that, you know, it's obviously not going to bring back Halna, but I hope they get some sort of justice for, um, and safety standards improve. Yeah. So this doesn't happen again. But we have something a bit happier for our first topic. A new kind of pig kidney transplant. So New York University's Langone Health took a brain-dead patient and a pig kidney and put the pig kidney into him, and it didn't reject. Uh. Normally it would. So what's different here is that this pig kidney comes from a pig with modified DNA. Pig-human hybrids. I mean, not really. They're just modifying the DNA to be closer to human because humans and pigs share a lot of DNA. So do humans and bananas. It's that sort of thing about DNA that a lot of DNA uh, boils down to similar jobs. Although this is going to be interesting, uh, I mean, we we always see the t- stories of transplantations as like a, a normal affair, but this is interesting in terms of yes, we're using animals for the first time and it's working perfectly. Well, not for the first time; other animals have been used, but it is working perfectly and incredibly. There's no rejection at all so far. They've only done the test for a few days. They, they need to do a longer one to make sure it lasts. But this is a, a massive jump for organ transplants using animal organs, which is a hell of a lot simpler than making a robot body part like we spoke about a couple of weeks ago. But now comes the harder part. I mean, transplanting from one body part to another is one thing, but then it's whether it functions like a human, that's going to be another different thing. Well, the good news is it does function just like a human kidney. The test that they did in the short time of the study reveal that the kidney is actually functioning about as well as a transplanted human kidney. And in the past, when they've tried using unmodified kidneys, they see massive rejection. Hmm. So currently, the wait time for a kidney is three to five years. And the tricky part with getting animal organs into people is rejection. Same for a human transplant. But there are it is easier to do a human transplant because you can take it from a relative that might be close enough to not reject. And in this case, the particular carbohydrate they identified that triggers rejection is alpha-gal, which, really interested to that, linked to Lyme disease, which is transmitted by ticks. Ticks, uh, a particular species of tick that bites you, I think after it's bitten another mammal, will transfer some of this uh, carbohydrate to you and cause you to become sensitive to alpha-gal, which makes you allergic to red meat. Damn. So that obviously, uh, this can't solve that problem. 
because you'd have to, unless you created a whole bunch of uh, animals without alpha-gal or with modified alpha-gal. And that's kind of, I don't see the point in that really, but, you know, they might. I like it. I'm looking at the uh, alpha-gal. Oh, actually, I do see, sorry. Yeah. Uh, they, it has been approved by the FDA for food for people with meat allergies. Ah. I like how in the, um, with the alpha if you get... If once you get alpha gal, all mammalian meats and uh, byproducts be uh, avoided. And I'm thinking, so you've just instantly turned this person into a vegetarian. Well, not quite. You can still eat fish and poultry, but yeah. it, it does raise a funny image of militant vegans running around jabbing people with alpha, alpha gal <laughs> sensitivity toxin. <laughs> oh, I think we've just uncovered Peter's next. Next, uh, next goal. <laughs> Don't give them any ideas. <laughs> but here's a here's an interesting part though. With this, is this? Would you say this is transhumanism or not? That's a good question. Um, since it's basically a animal organ, then yes, I think it would. Although traditionally, transhumanism is more about enhancing yourself with. Uh, robot parts because we haven't had the tech to do enhancing genetics or organs yet so yes this is a step towards transhumanism and that's pretty cool actually yeah and the other and the other interesting thing would be i mean okay pigs with pig kidneys would be one is the first step can you imagine introducing other animal species into your body like let's say for example you get you you might get the lion mane on your hair. <laughs> That's more of an aesthetic genetic modification. Sure, sure, but one has to one has to dream. Or who knows you could you could even get the um the smell properties of the uh of, of the great white sh- shark in you. I wonder if something like this could be used to modify your liver and make it incredibly resistant to Cirrhosis. <laughs> make it able to metabolize alcohol really quickly. Oh, can you <laughs> do it? If you do that, <laughs> you are going to see a lot of alcoholics coming to you going, I love you, man. <laughs> I love what you did. <laughs> yeah, livers are already kind of a easy one to get because livers regenerate. But if you do get a liver transplant, you still need to go on to rejection drugs and they will still require you to become sober. Oh yeah, but the years after the surgery... <laughs> yeah, I don't know how long you have to be sober for, or if they check up on you after you've had it. Because it's not like they can be like, right, you had a drink, taking your organs back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, what else? Like I said the, the possibilities are endless. Can you imagine getting can you imagine, uh, implanted with possum eyes? Seeing the dark. That would be cool. So a super liver and kidneys to handle the effects of like being an alcoholic drug addict. <laughs> a like cat's eye so you can see in the dark. And let's throw in a bit of that bioluminescence to make your skin glow. And we have created the perfect raver. Oh no. Oh no. Perhaps there are some things man was never meant to tamper with. Okay, I would have gone with Twilight Zone over Doctor Who there. But you, that, but 
what are the what are the other epic ethical implications would you could you see with this uh, sort of surgery? Well, the key one would be: is it ethical to take animal organs? I don't know what the vegan stance on organ transplants is. Let's see if I can find anything on that. Because I know that when you have a transplant, it's quite often to get an animal body part. Uh, Peter, of course, are saying that self-centered humans should fix organ shortage and leave pigs alone. So, yeah, let's go around and uh, kill people and take their organs. <laughs> the other interesting thing would be would there be would that there will also add in a couple of further complications like what age group can this uh, surgery be possible with? I mean, if it was like any age, that'd be pretty cool. But then there would be like, oh, you have to be this old to get this sort of transplant. You have, or you have to be that unlikely. young. Unlikely. Yeah, the key issue would be whether you'd survive the surgery mm. because they already do transplants into children. So just going through a couple of Reddit threads. It does look kind of like the vegans think that the animals aren't consenting, but in some cases they're okay with it because the uh, animal was going to be killed for food anyway. I don't know if that's true. I don't know. Just um, the little bit I know of vegan philosophy, I'd think that raising an animal to be your body transplant source is not okay because that would be exploiting another living thing for your benefit. But if a human came to you and said, I want you to have my kidney, that would be okay because they're consented. Yeah, that would be very, that, yeah. Yeah, you're right. The animals can't consent. So it's, it does go into that little moral quandary, doesn't it? Yeah. And how much is your self-preservation worth to you? Yeah, but then again, okay. But then again, remember what uh, Spock used to, Spock said before he died, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. I mean, but you're still it... one person getting an organ from one animal. True, true. But if it's going to benefit the benefit a lot more people, like it's a small sacrifice, but it's helping a lot of people in the long run. No, it's only helping one person because one particular pig will provide a kidney for one particular person. I mean, they've got two kidneys, so maybe they could provide two kidneys. But you're not going to be creating a pig specifically for a person, and you're not going to make pigs with like 100 kidneys. So I think mostly you'd only get one or two organs out of a particular pig. I know with humans, they try to get as much as they can because humans are in relatively short supp supply. <laughs> Dude, we're making ourselves sound like dictate, sound like a bunch of marauders. Like, ah, we're, we're in a short supply of humans. <laughs> Bring okay, us but to get a human who has died of at a young age of a cause that doesn't make it destroy their organs and make them invalid for transplant. So a lot of organ transplants come from car accidents. It's a, a pretty limited supply compared to a pig farm. If you could raise, you know, 10,000 pigs on a pig farm, I think you'd be more likely to get a vegan to agree to it than uh, I think a Jehovah's though, because the Jehovah's Witnesses are completely against like intrusive medical intervention. They won't take blood transplants or organ transplants. So you can go and get your cancer cut out, but you can't get a replacement kidney. And you also have to take it. And it's not only the like Jehovah's Witnesses that you have to con con consider here. You also have to deal with uh, other religions as well, like what's Islam's point of True. view and what's uh, Hindu's Hinduism's point of view and what's uh, like what, yes. uh, 
I know for Islam, if you eat pork in a moment of desperation, or if you're forced to, or do it accidentally, it's all good, uh, particularly if you repent after and so on. But I don't know what their view would be on getting an organ transplant from a pig. Yeah. Can't imagine it's uh, particularly positive, though. Let's Google that one and see if I can find any statements on that. So islamweb.net, uh, still scrolling actually, because they've got a bunch of stuff about human transplant first. What's, well, okay, what's, their prim- what's their view on human transplant first? Well, it's fairly similar to others that you're not you know, killing people for their organs, that your patient is likely to survive, that there's a medical necessity. So judging by this uh, post on Islam Web, possibly a Muslim would be allowed to get a pig organ because in uh, in the Quran, uh, verse Quran 5 verse 3, I'm not sure exactly how to read that, Allah said, But whoever is forced by severe hunger with no inclination to sin, then indeed Allah is forgiving and merciful. So I think in that case, Muslims could get pig organs. Hmm. But they do point out that you'd want an animal that had been slaughtered halal. Yeah, that's a yeah. I mean, okay. So to all of our um, Muslim listeners, we're not imams or any no. religious figures that they know Islam. So if any of us want to enlighten us on on this, feel free to send us an email. And yeah, yes. Keep in mind that in this case, we are almost certainly talking out of our backsides. Yeah. I wonder how many Islamic people actually listen to us, though. Because looking at our um, demographics, they're mostly listened to in majority Christian countries. Yeah, yeah. But still, it would, it, it'd be interesting. It'd be, it'd be an interesting statistic. Maybe we should do a survey one day. <laughs> um, okay, so with the um, pig... Okay, so with the uh, kidney uh, transplant. Yes, ethics aside... This pig kidney is modified genetically to suit human bodies, which is really cool. And, you know, what's next? Can they do this with a heart? Can they do it with livers or lungs? Because there's a lot of organs that have a particularly long waiting list, particularly the organs that you kind of need to stay alive. Because you can do with donating one of your kidneys, but you can't really do with donating your heart. That doesn't really work too well. And the other interesting thing is going to be, so if this becomes much more feasible, uh, could we say goodbye to tech, like tech transplants? As in only biological transplants rather than robot bits. Yeah. I would not be surprised because it's hard to make a robot part that is as long-lasting as an animal part because an animal part does its own maintenance. You know, you're constantly growing new cells and replacing damaged parts of your body. But if you make a a robot heart, then you've got to deal with valves and bearings. And coding as well, just to see if it's actually working. Yeah, so I think you'd be more likely to want a biological organ, assuming you didn't have to deal with transplant rejection. Whereas a robot part is easier to deal with from the transplant side because your body doesn't react to it quite the same way. It still reacts, but it doesn't attack it as a biological invader. And I've just realized something when with this uh, transplant as well. Pharmac- can you imagine the uh, cost of surgeries decreasing? And like you know how if it, once you get a transplant, you have to spend lots and lots of money on drug on drugs just for the anti rejection and stuff. 
think of the money they would save from it. Yeah, that's a possibility. And with increased availability, we have would have less people in hospital on dialysis, which is pretty expensive. So I think we'd have a cheaper health system overall, because instead of having someone come in and spend a couple of years in intensive care, then they could come in and get their organ in a couple of months. And yeah, you'd cut down the treatment period by that much. So we would just basically crack the code. Yeah, um, I don't see this happening for another 10 years or so, but it's exciting to see the day when they put this into a otherwise healthy patient. They've used the brain dead patient in this case, because obviously transplanting a thing that you don't know will work into someone just to see what happens isn't the most ethical. So they had to talk to an ethics board and get permission to use a brain dead patient. But in the brain dead patient case, the patient's going to die anyway. So you're less uh, concerned about long-term effects. The same goes for cancer drugs. Uh, Cancer drugs get tested on terminal patients because if you extend their life, great. But if it doesn't work, at least you're not harming them further, usually. But moving on for our gaming topic, you might have seen the Facebook leaks recently. There's a whole lot of drama about Facebook being in the news, and I'm going to skip right over that and get to the main part. (laughs) Facebook are apparently going to rebrand themselves around the metaverse. You might remember me talking about that a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And they Facebook are planning to keep Facebook name the same, but will create a new parent company for Facebook. Sort of like how Google has Alphabet. Because Zuckerberg doesn't just want to control our social media, he wants to control our virtual reality. Like, I so, saw this, and I was like, this is just Ready Player One. <laughs> so, so basically, we've got the... Uh... So, so basically, this is the Zuckerverse. Yeah, that's bad, but yes. And I'm not a fan of this, because as much as I think the metaverse is an exciting idea, and I want to see how it ends up, I don't want to see Facebook in control of it. Especially because if Facebook already, if Facebook bans your Facebook account, your Oculus device is useless. As far as I'm aware, that doesn't happen to almost any other hardware, and that's on a path I want to go down. You might know, because I like right to repair. I don't like companies taking away things that I paid money for. But here's the, okay, but here's the thing, though. You do, like, in order for uh, a system to work, there needs to be a governing body. And I mean, I'm, and okay, as, my, and, and as, it, as, as it breaks there your does, heart... does, but it shouldn't be Facebook. Yeah, but that's a problem, though. Facebook were the ones that decided to create this idea. And then, no, they uh, okay, yeah, the metaverse uh, has been around for ages. Facebook oh, yeah. is just jumping in. Yeah, Facebook are just jumping in, and they're trying to be—they're trying to make itself the governing body. Yet, and yeah, and as, okay, and with the recent stuff that's been going on lately with Facebook, I don't think Facebook as a governing body is a good thing. No, Facebook is will be an awful governing body. I mean, we already know that Facebook doesn't care about getting to the truth of a matter, they just push what you want to see at you so that you stay there and keep looking at ads. And we know that they they have a serious problem with illegal material being pay- posted on Facebook and then treating their moderators terribly. I've and also... then we fall under the monopoly sort of thing. Do we want one company, Facebook, in charge of every aspect of our life? Even if that company was Valve and Valve started taking over every aspect of my life, 
Right now I trust Valve, but I don't want that to be the future because I don't know what will happen to Valve and I don't want that lack of competition. Same deal with Google and Apple. I mean, Twitter, I mean, Twitter was also, uh, have also decided, uh, chimed in as well, if I recall, saying that, yeah, you, if Facebook decides to be a metaverse, it will be a dystopia. Facebook already is a dystopia, so that wasn't, you know, much of a stretch. Although, funnily enough, uh, tw- Twitter itself is also a dystopia. Social media is generally garbage. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's why I don't bother with social media anymore. I just have, like, well, at least not any of the mainstream ones. I use Discord and stuff. But I don't go through the whole post your life on social media and post your politics and post your drama because it's just dystopic. Yeah. And I'm not interested in having that level of stress in my life. I'm stressed enough as it is. <laughs> but, with, okay, so, but with uh, Facebook being a metaverse, okay, so this is Zuckerberg. I feel like this whole Facebook trying to be a metaverse it feels like a Zuckerberg vanity project. It feels like a project to make Zuckerberg money. Oh yeah, yeah. Which and is bo- what he wants. And boost his and boost his ego. Yes, I'm not entirely sure if he's a reptilian or a robot. But <laughs> still, Mark Zuckerberg I, has designs on humanity. I, I'm put. I'm putting. I'm still putting my alien theory on it. No, he's Elon's got- the alien. Elon's the alien. And Elon just wants to go home. <laughs> But we don't have the rocket technology to go home yet, so he's helping us build it so that he can go home. Pretty sure that's the plot of a sci-fi. I don't remember which one, though. Anyway, here's the thing with uh, the Facebook metaverse as well. It could um, it, it could also open up doors for businesses to uh, to, to survive. Like, you know how we always get the, uh, the constant ads on Facebook. Like, do you want to sign up for this uh, Facebook group? Sign up for this Facebook group and you can see our products. Click on this link. Click on that link. No, it'll just be more advertising. Like the plan that IOI had in Ready Player One. You know, they wanted to take over and put ads on everything. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's why I think the metaverse should be federated rather than under a single governing body. If Facebook wants to make their own metaverse, let them. But they shouldn't be able to lock us all into it. We should be able to jump between them and choose where we want to be. Unfortunately, Facebook isn't going to be too happy with that idea. Yeah. And what's going to be even worse is like uh, America, like certain companies, Facebook's fa- Facebook, you cannot access the metaverse. Well, if Facebook metaverse becomes a thing, like China's Facebook metaverse will be totally different from the America's Facebook metaverse. You get what I mean? Like, yeah. And we already know if you get banned from Facebook, you get banned from using your riff. Um, so getting banned from Facebook or not having a Facebook account precludes you from having a gaming experience. So a social media company is putting tendrils into gaming. What else could you lose if we let just one company like Facebook or Amazon or Google run the metaverse? If you get banned, does that prevent you from working in certain places? Does it so we, prevent so it, you from experiencing certain content? So it's basically so it's like China with the whole um, social uh, what's this social social currency? credit. Yeah, that's the one. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it would be a bit like a social credit score. If you're not in good standing with Facebook, then you lose access to everything on Facebook. Now, currently, there's alternatives to Facebook, but that's why we can't let Facebook take over everything because then there won't be any alternatives for you to go to when Facebook screws you around. Imagine if, uh, imagine if Reddit has their own metaverse. 
Oh, boy. I can see that happening. Yeah, but, okay, here's the question. How many percent of it is going to be uh, invaded by uh, spicy, spicy materials? Probably about as much as the current Reddit is. I could imagine it being very segregated, though. There would be a metaverse section for, like, the Flashlight subreddit, and a metaverse for absolute mental blank on popular subreddits. But it would be very segregated, and then there'd be a couple of subreddits that everyone congregates to. Things like Ask Reddit or World News. Hey, here's a crazy thought. Imagine 4chan being a metaverse. The world is not ready for that. <laughs> it would just be a terrifying... It would be terrifying. It would. There's a reason we segregate 4chan from the rest of the internet. 4chan is a special place. It's a bloody mess. Like, it's a different kind of mess, but it is a bloody mess. <laughs> but yeah, like, but, but yeah, can you imagine... Um, the, with, the, with Facebook trying to be a metaverse, it... At once, it, at, at one, some point, it feels like it's it's cleaning up the net, but at the same time, it's sanitizing the net. If you get what I mean, like it's cleaning up the net in terms of okay, we're gonna take out all the harmful content from the net, but at the same time, it's just making it so boring and bland. Sort of like how now that everyone runs on you know WordPress or Wix or another service, everything feels very similar, and you know. It's a lower barrier of entry to get into it, but you don't seem to run into as much really interesting, unusual stuff on the internet. I love when I find an old site that hasn't been updated since the 90s, because it's usually got some really interesting content. Now, actually, now when you think about the... uh, I I was watching a documentary about Heaven's Gate, and apparently, interesting fact, the Heaven's Gate website is still online. Yeah, because a handful of Heaven's Gate members stayed behind to maintain the website and other things. I don't know if they think they'll get picked up on the next trip or something, but they you know, volunteered to stay behind. I do think, though, that the low barrier of entry means that, you know, I'm happy for it because it means a lot more people can post on the internet, but it does flood out the, what feels, feels like it floods out the more quality content. And I'm probably looking at it through rose-tinted glasses. But when there was a higher barrier of entry to making a website, the only people who made websites were people who really wanted to make a website. So if you were really into, I don't know, model trains or fish of the Murray River, and you wanted to have a website about them, you really had to go and learn how to do it and create your website. So yeah, it does. I am probably looking at it through rose tinted glasses and being a bit of a boomer though. Okay, boomer. (laughs) Yep. I think it's interesting, though, and I hope that we see a federated metaverse rather than one dominated by a couple of companies. Because one of the complaints I have about companies like Google is that any small company that shows any sort of promise gets snapped up. The people who developed, you know, satellite mapping programs like Google Earth, uh, Apple snapped up the people who developed Siri. So you've got this state where you're an idiot for not selling out to Google or Apple and even if you don't sell out to them, they can crush you by having more funding. Yeah. So if they come to you and say, you want a million bucks, we want to buy your company, and you don't take it, then they'll just go and make their own and throw millions of dollars at it because they have that money. Or they can, or they can do a simple reverse engineering. Yeah, and people are going to use that because of network effect. I don't know a good way to solve it, but I think... 
the internet at the moment is in its it's been around for 40 years or so now and it's in its sort of figuring out what it is the big companies all want part of the internet and they're trying to take over the internet to make money at the same time you have the sort of the edges of the internet where people make their own websites and have unique content and i think the internet's trying to figure out what it is is it a place of independence of creativity or is it a place of big companies because what we were promised back in the 80s and 90s and the declaration of independence of cyberspace was a really interesting social experiment that would allow people to be really open and creative and bring people together but then we have companies like facebook which are locking things down and splitting people up and they deliberately create the bubbles so that people get split up and mostly hang around people they like so that they don't get pissed off and leave like if you post anti-vax stuff they'll put you in with the anti-vax stuff if you post hugely pro-vax stuff they'll put you in with the pro-vax people i don't know a good solution for it no i I don't pretty philosophical though yeah it it it, there 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 were okay as much as we can we can talk theoretically and philosophically about this like application to application would be very very difficult because application has a lot of nuance so yeah it's it, it, it and and if they could find maybe they could um introduce a lot of ais to try and police the metaverse i mean that would be is that a good thing though i don't know if that's really a good thing it's never it, it, it well currently it's not a good thing because ai is garbage right now oh yeah oh, doing yeah. amazing things but it's still pretty garbage honestly oh, oh yeah yeah i agree with you like um my favorite case in point to that to the whole scenario is uh tumblr when 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 it was revealed that uh, spicy images were founded in that website, uh, Tumblr decided to use the use a very very new, very very powerful AI to uh, try and weed out the problem. All the only only problem was it worked too well, and ever since then people have found ways to go around the AI. Yeah, your moderation has to be constantly evolving. But I'd rather our metaverse be more declaration of independence of cyberspace and less IOI. But that's but but that'll be but like I reckon it's gonna I think it's gonna be a uh there's gonna be have there's gonna be a middle ground I reckon because yeah because the problem is like even if you if you do it on a federated level it's gonna be like um let's say for example I don't know whether. History buffs might uh, crucify me on this one. Um, when before the UN, there was the League of Nations, and how America was not involved, and the Americans were like, "Ha, you can't, you can't survive without us." The League of Nations was flawed in a lot of ways. One of them was not having buy-in from all of the current world superpowers. Like, if you look at the UN Security Council, yeah, right now the Security Council is most of the countries that should have been part of the League of Nations. But they didn't have buy-in from all of them. So they couldn't enforce, they couldn't work with them. And then there was other major issues. And after World War One, the Treaty of Versailles was not a particularly good way to end the war. And a lot of historians think that it led straight into World War Two because of the Treaty of Versailles. Yeah. But my point is, like, with that, with that like, a big superpower to monitor to look at the um situation like it can uh, it, it it's going to fall apart 
Like, uh, I'm just reading through the article. I'm reading through Wikipedia article here saying that the credibility of the organization was weakened by the fact that the U.S. never joined the league and the Soviet Union yeah. joined late. So, because after World War One, it wasn't as bad industrially as World War Two when the industrial base of Europe was destroyed, but a lot of people died, and that really affected the economy in those nations. And then there was the Spanish flu. There were a lot of hits to the uh, European economy in the first half of the 20th century. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But my... Okay, but... But, yeah, getting the US in was a a big thing that should have happened because the US, even during World War I, was, you know, relatively untouched. Yeah. So World War I and World War II almost didn't affect the US at all. And the US was able to become a world superpower that way. Yeah. And my point is, like, without I without um the Facebook, the um it's it's like a it's not feeding the well, you know? It's not giving it's not contributing. so when if you make it federated, it's not um it's it's you're leaving it to dry, basically. I'm not sure I understand. So you think that Facebook needs to be on board for it to work. Yeah. In terms of like financially supporting it and maintaining it. Like if you have it federated, yeah, sure. It, it could work in the short term, but in the long term, it wouldn't work because it would just be like, Oh, we don't have enough money to fund the met- uh, to fund, to maintain the metaverse kind of thing. I see a federated thing as something more like the EU. Everyone's there and sort of working towards the same goals, but they all have different methods, and if you're not particularly happy with the way one EU country is doing things, it's not a big deal to move to another EU country, as I understand it, mm. which is how a federated server works. So one of the main federated server services that people are aware of is Mastodon, which brought into the news recently because Trump has taken that and incorrectly licensed it and created Truth Social the world's fastest hacked social media. (laughs) Really? Literally before it went live, people were hacking it. Oh, damn. Yeah. But the key issue is that it's not licensed correctly under Mastodon, uh, which is AGPL. So they've tried to, you know, they've done a find replace, replace Mastodon with Truth Social or whatever, and locked it off from the rest of the... uh, federated mastodon servers but they're now getting sued by mastodon for infringing the license which is why the uh, mastodon has been in the news in the last few days but i think it would be a bit like the eu all working towards you know the same general goals of not fighting of you know advancing each other and supporting each other when needed but if you're not happy with the way your section is run you can protest by moving to another section of the met of the fediverse the fediverse there yeah, we're coming up we use <laughs> there that's then we're coming up with some interesting names of it yeah fediverse is basically the universe of federated servers so if i ran a mastodon server which is like twitter for nerds amalgamated which will just host us someone else might run one for tnc as a whole and if you're not happy with the way I run the Nerds Amalgamated Mastodon, then you can just hop off and join TNC. And if you go deaf and decide not to listen to a podcast ever again, you can hop off the TNC one and join the, I don't know, Braille Book Club. 
it's not a perfect system. Like I realize I gush about it a lot, but it's not perfect. And it's something that's still fairly early in development. But I think this is a, you know, I personally really buy into this idea than huge monolithic social networks like Facebook. But we should move on because we're running out of time. What are you bringing to the table tonight, DJ? So, uh, Josh Berger from Bounding Into Comics wrote an interesting article about uh, director Dave Zucker says that Airplane... A different the... Zucker. <laughs> A different Zucker, yeah. Zuckerberg uh... and Zucker. <laughs> so, uh, D- Dave Zucker says Airplane can could be made today without the jokes. Now, so, this uh... is just a fairly typical boomer... Young people who can't make any jokes, it's illegal to be funny thing. But I do think it's hilarious, because Airplane Without the Jokes is already a movie. Airplane is a movie called Zero Hour, with jokes in it. There was already a movie, which was a bit absurd by itself, but played it off completely straight. I think of the name Zero Hour, although googling that, I'm not sure now. Yeah, it's Zero Hour. Okay. Yeah, because it was just coming up with games. Yeah. And for those, uh, uh, yeah, it plays oh. it off completely straight that this plane disaster movie and Zucker Abrams and Zucker saw that and decided to make a a movie that was that, but with jokes and really play into the humor side. And it's still bloody hilarious. So for There's those a few things that don't age, but yeah. Yeah. Go so on, for... DJ. I keep interrupting you. <laughs> so, for those who, uh, who are not familiar with David Sucker, he's the guy that's famous for the Naked Gun series and basketball. So, uh, but yeah, you're and right. His he... production company, uh, Zaz, Zucker, Abrams, and Zucker, are responsible oh, yeah. for Airplane. And I think they did. Um, were they Police Academy? Wait a second. Zucker, Abrams, and Zucker. Uh, Police Squad. Police Squad. That's it. Yeah, yeah, they were uh, Police Squad. Uh, wow, even Sean Connery's first night was a Zaz movie. Dang. Um, what else? Ghost, the the uh, famous Patrick Swayze movie, and uh, the scary That's movie. A Zaz movie. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, the direct. Well, actually, the was well, actually to, uh, Ghost was directed by Zucker. Yeah. Zucker directed Ghost. Okay, so just Zucker rather than Zaz. Yeah, yeah. Same with the uh, first night as well. Yeah, so I just think it's really funny that they're, you know, he's making a big deal about, you know, nothing's allowed to be funny anymore. And Airplane, like, it's just really funny that Airplane is his example when it's literally based on a movie that is Airplane without the jokes. Like, word for word, some scenes are copied directly across. Specifically, I remember the scene um, where they find out that the food's been contaminated. The yeah, and they're trying to work out what's got everyone sick, and they realize it's the fish. That's <laughs> a, specifically a scene that was copied word for word because the writing for it is so absurd. Oh man! But um, interesting you mentioned that because uh, Zucker wrote the column for uh, commentary. He wrote. Last year marked the 20th anniversary of the release of Airplane uh, that he wrote with his brother Jerry. And uh, uh, I'm going to say it probably wasn't the 20th anniversary. Oh, I said 40th. Sorry. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he says just before the world shut down, Paramount held a screening at the Egyptian Theater in Hollywood, followed by a Q&A when an audience member asked, 
we never we uh all asked the question we never used to receive and he asked could you make airplane today my response of course we could just without the jokes and the reason why he said that was because paramount planned to withhold the re-release of airplane because of the backlash of the classics yeah there's you know it's a funny movie it is there are a couple of bits where it doesn't doesn't age so well like the scene where uh i think it's leslie nielsen in that scene no wait leslie nielsen's the doctor damn it it's been a while since i've seen this uh the pilot has the little boy come into the cabin and he's like so jimmy you ever seen a grown man naked (laughs) and he's like being this really pervy guy that bit i felt like was really awkward and cringy and didn't age so well um I could see people being upset by a couple of other scenes like uh, the jive where some black passengers don't understand what the white people are saying because they're speaking, I think the terms African-American vernacular English, but they're using lots of slang and the stewardess is trying to talk to them. And this old lady's like, don't worry, I speak jive. And she runs off this full string of slang to them. But uh, he's but uh, Zucker goes. Uh, but in today's market, if I pitch the studio executive a comedy of which a white lady has to translate the speech of black people, in uh, in which an eight-year-old girl says, "I like my coffee black, just like my men," or an oh airline... yes, that one also wouldn't fly so well. <laughs> or an airline pilot's making bold sexual suggestions to a boy, I'd be told in Studio E's. That just be that. That's just fantastically great. We'll call you," he stated. "Yes, our um, our Zucker Abrams and Zucker okay. I mean, they make a lot of jokes about pedophilia in that movie. <laughs> oh, that's so bad. <laughs> but yeah, so he so he was touching on the effects of cancel culture. Has the uh, plane director then opined? We're facing with social and political pressures that are tearing our country and our families apart." Not that I couldn't do without some family members. Oh, anyways, he continued adding, but the point is we live in the most outrageous period in our recent history when the need for humor is greatest, and yet we seem to be losing our ability to laugh at ourselves and our world. And he continues on saying, humor happens when you go against what's expected to surprise people with something they're not anticipating, like the New York Jets winning a game. Uh, but to find the surprise funny, to find the surprise funny, people have to be willing to suppress the literal in- interpretation of drugs. Yeah, I think he's playing it up a bit. I think it's you know there are segments that won't don't hold up as well with modern uh, from a modern viewing. But I think he's really playing it up because I think Airplane has actually aged pretty well for a comedy from the eighties. Not to mention the fact who who could forget Leslie Nielsen and his co- comedic uh, performances there. Yeah, this was actually his first comedy movie. And uh, he 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 says he says on this one, some people look at the mass exodus of comedy writers and proclaim that comedy must be dead. That's not true. Comedy is not dead. It's scared. And what's and when something is scared, it goes into hiding. Zucker declared, adding that he admires those comedy writers who could pour their creativity and talents into non-humorous projects. I mean, that's a good that's a good stance. You know, I've got to wonder because we have sources going back thousands of years of people being like kids these days. But 
I wonder if comedians felt the same way as we're hearing now about, you know, people were like, you can't be funny anymore. But I wonder if people were like that, you know, a hundred years ago. Or is it just that we're in a period of particularly fast social change? Yeah, I I reckon that's what's happened. Like, we've, we've, like, okay, to me, I think cancel culture is a bit like slacktivism. And you're right, it's it's kind of going to that point of fast political, fast social change where now we're entering the slacktivism era. You know, another bit that wouldn't, uh, that uh, probably wouldn't fly these days, the flamboyantly gay air traffic controller. Wait, there were, wait, I, I don't think I recall that one. Towards the end of the movie, when the air traffic controllers go up to the tower to guide them in. Okay. Oh, you mean uh, Johnny? <laughs> Johnny, that's it. Yeah, I, I guess we're in you know a particularly fast period of social change. It's been accelerating, you know, probably for the last hundred years. We went through two world wars, which were pretty bloody dramatic. Then the civil rights era in the West. Uh, like not just in the US in the 50s and 60s, but around the world in the early 20th century, there was a lot of civil rights stuff going on. And it's just kind of accelerated ever since. So I wonder if people are just, you know, boomers are just old and being all boomery and it's not a big deal. I mean... Sure, humor changes. Humor has always changed, but is it changing faster now than it has in the past? I I don't think um I I don't think humor is going to change fast enough. But the problem is the type of humor that uh, we we've experienced back in the old days. You try it now, like people would still be like, "Oh my god, this is uh this is offensive." But then you try the modern humor; it's just bland and and terrible. Like um, case it's not point- always bland and terrible. There's uh, bad mean- humor in every generation. Oh yeah, yeah, but okay, but look at for example, like let me uh, think of an example. Uh, oh yeah, okay, hey, I got one. The remember that Powerpuff Girls uh, script that we saw, and how bland and terrible that was in terms of humor and and whatnot. I don't see that as a problem with humor. I see that as a problem with the writer. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't think they wrote it thinking this is the absolute funniest thing I've ever seen. We all know that's Rick turning himself into a pickle, but it just wasn't, you know wasn't well written and th- that particular combination of humor and drama was really bad as well as the humor not being great but in another context some of those jokes could be funny so will you want to watch airplane again yeah i'll watch it again one day it's fun you know the parts that don't hold up are a bit air but the rest of it is really fun oh yeah and it is rated as one as the f- one of if not the funniest movie of all time by actual scientific studies they measured how often people laughed during viewings of certain movies, and I'm pretty sure Airplane was the top movie. Here you go. Uh, here's a Reddit uh, article. It's uh, linking to a Telegraph article written by Telegraph or what? Airplane. Uh, dang pay. Dang paywall. But yeah, it's fu- uh, funniest film ever. Research finds it's generated three laughs a minute on average. There we go. Although I do see suddenly a headline saying Superbad is the new funniest movie of all time. I mean, obviously that's subjective and humour is going to be incredibly biased depending on your demographic. Uh, So, you know, there's a matter of opinion there and of your your sensibilities too. 
Yeah, that's fair. Right, the top ten movies here were Airplane, The Hangover, Naked Gun, Superbad, Borat, Anchorman, American Pie, Bridesmaids, Shaun of the Dead, and Life of Brian. Nice. I've seen some of those. Not a big fan of Hangover, but Life of Brian is bloody hilarious. And it also has a couple of moments that haven't aged particularly well. I don't remember what they are, but I remember watching it and thinking, yeah, that hasn't aged well. And I don't know how people really see the uh, the trans scene in it, where one of the people strand of Judeans is arguing that men should be allowed to have babies too, and that uh, he wants to be identified as a woman. Oh yeah, I think I saw that scene. I, I still laughed to that day. Yeah, it's a funny scene, and personally I don't think it's you know transphobic or anything, but I'm not trans, so if you are and it is, I hope I haven't offended you. But there are parts in that movie that haven't aged the best, but are still funny. The one thing that I, I I have gripes with is I hate when people try and use some article that was made in the old days and try and apply a modern stance to it. I'm going, but that's hard. You can't do that. That's like taking one standard and trying to apply it to a different standard. It's it's You can't do that. I mean, you have to look at it yes, from... Yes, it's the... hard to analyze things from a different point of view than the one you have. Yeah. And time definitely is a factor. I mean, people think that any movie made 50 years ago is slow and boring. At the time, they didn't think that. At the time, they were great. But sensibilities have changed. We're used to a different style of humor, a different pacing structure, different uh, standards for effects. I think it's just, yeah, it really feels like one of those cheap digs at millennials for not finding anything funny, which is wrong. I'm a millennial and I think things are funny. I just think there's some things that aren't funny. And they're different things to the things my dad thinks is funny. And different to the things my grandpa thinks is funny. And that's how society works. So we'll have a short break and then move on to our shout-outs and events of interest, which we are doing in a new cut-down form. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So on the 19th of October, uh, Leslie Brickus passed away. Leslie was a two-time Academy Award winner. Leslie wrote for movies including Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory and Dr. Doolittle, and was 90 years old. He's got a hell of a resume. Oh yeah, oh yeah. He wrote Pure Imagination from uh, Willy Wonka, the theme from Goldfinger and You Only Live Twice, and Talk to the Animals from Dr. Doolittle. <laughs> Man, I... I... Those are uh, some iconic songs right there. Correction, actually. Looks like it's the Candyman from Willy Wonka. Ah. Bit of a brain fart there. Uh, so he did work on Pure Imagination as well. Okay, so yeah, he had a, a lot of different stuff going on there. It's a, such a huge variety of different types of music as well. Hmm. On the 20th of October, we passed the 15th anniversary of The Prestige. Such a great movie. It's... To avoid spoiling it, I won't tell you too much, but it's a 
thriller movie about magicians in the Victorian era. Two magicians are competing to create the best trick. So the two magicians are Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale. So it's got Scarlett Johansson, Michael Caine as the magician's assistant, Piper Perabo, Andy Serkis, Rebecca Hall, and my favourite, David Bowie as Nikola Tesla. I don't think there's a single bad casting in that movie. No, it's really cool cool all-star cast. Yeah, and it still holds up. I don't know what... Uh, I don't know that there's any part of it that doesn't really work anymore. And even holds up on repeated viewings. And and interestingly, the, that movie's been referenced in a lot of shows. Uh, most recently, the Rick and Morty. Which one was that? It was the one where uh, the episode was was about uh, Morty and the uh, acid bath. The Vat of Acid episode. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, I understand that. I won't spoil it by telling you why, though. If you haven't seen The Prestige, go and see The Prestige before you look up anything about it. And it's a Christopher Nolan movie, one of his uh, earlier works. Although, I might be showing my age there, because I don't know if Christopher Nolan was, like, really big in the 90s or something. Oh, he was big in the 90s. I, um, was this, uh, Memento was, a bit, was pretty big at the time. Wasn't that early 2000s? That was nineties. Give me, let me have a look. That was a two thousand movie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, everyone knows him for uh, Interstellar and Inception, but I reckon this is one of his best. Yeah, that was his second movie. First, uh, first movie of his was a nineteen ninety eight independent crime thriller called Following. Okay. And for the twentieth anniversary of GTA Three on the twenty second of October, the Rockstar announced a GTA Three trilogy. Remaster. They're never going to stop milking that thing, aren't they? At least it's on another GTA 5 release. <laughs> Although I'm pretty sure they're doing a new one for uh, PS5 and Xbox Series, aren't they? I-, I hope so. I hope not. So this was the first 3D game in the GTA series. And they went with a really interesting... I'm not the biggest fan of the graphical style of GTA 3. I think they refined it a bit with... Um, What's the ones that came next? Vice City and San Andreas. But it does, you know, they still hold up quite a bit as early open world 3D games. So it's really interesting that GTA started with what feels more like an arcade game and it only really got fleshed out in GTA 3. The first two games have not aged well though. And for our wacky movie, on the 21st of October 1970, Bigfoot released in the US. It was not a hit. Starring John Carradine and Joy Lansing, Bigfoot kidnaps some women and some bikers decide to go on a rescue mission to save them. It was filmed in Northern California and was the first movie to feature Bigfoot. Three years after the Patterson-Gimlin film revealed actual footage of Bigfoot, which really looks a lot like a man in a gorilla suit, but don't tell them that. <laughs> that, that, that thing is still the most elusive... It could, well, I, could I call it a conspiracy theory? Yeah, well, it's a cryptid, technically. A cryptid is a mysterious creature, basically. But this is specifically the first appearance of what is specifically Bigfoot, because you're probably aware of things like the Yeti. Because there's a lot of... It's odd that there's a lot of giant gorilla man mythology around the world for a bunch of creatures who have no evidence of their existence. There's no fossils, there's no live specimens. And for something that big, it would have to eat a decent amount of food to stay alive and to have a breeding population. So 
if there's a Bigfoot out there, we should find it. So I suspect that Bigfoot mythology descends from mythology of other hominids. So the Yeti first appeared by name in The Snow Creature in 1954. The South American Yeti, Sukara, which is one of the Amazonian names, though it's also known as Patagal in Bride of Bride of Gorilla in 1951, and the Abominable Snowman, who was not the Yeti, but very similar, appeared in the 1919 film The Conquest of the Pole. I wonder how how uh, corny that movie was. It's a 70s monster movie. I don't think it's possible for it to not be corny. So that's all we have, DJ. Where can they find us? Uh, they can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, that'sotcan.com, where, where we have an archive of our old episodes and um, that's our can po- podcast, such as Now That's Interesting, a podcast where they explore the stories that catch their interest, the topics that force us that force them to question reality and the struggle of turning raw data into true wisdom. Join their conversation, hopefully. Uh, they find a few laughs along the way. Sounds good. So, look after yourselves, stay hydrated, and we'll see you next week. See you guys. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.